And here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 8th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our custom on Mondays, we take a look at readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent, which is the next Sunday, March the 14th. And readings are from Numbers 21, Ephesians 2, and John 3. Now, why are the readings chosen the way they are? Normally, the Old Testament reading and the Gospel reading kind of tie together. And then there may be an ongoing reading from the Epistle, which uh, this week is from Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to take a look, though, at both the Gospel from John 3 and the Old Testament reading from Numbers 21, because in John 3, we have what is probably the best-known verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, the question is, what does that mean? And when I ask what does that mean, I'm asking about what does that mean that he who believes in him? Does it mean that you simply believe that Jesus existed? Then Muslims and other religions that indicate that Jesus was a real person would also be saved. But it's very clear that those who do not properly believe in Jesus are not saved. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, we're going to discover what may be unique. Well, it is unique to Christianity, what belief means. And we're going to discover it by looking at the Old Testament reading from Numbers chapter 21. They're in the wilderness, and they go around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses. What did they say? Numbers 21, verse 5. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Now, what are they talking about? Well, God did give them manna. But can you imagine for 40 years they were having manna in the desert? And have you ever liked a certain kind of food and then you start buying it? It doesn't take very long after eating a lot of it that you get tired of it. It doesn't matter if it's ice cream, uh, hot dogs, cheeseburgers. Well, you need to have something else at times. So God had sent them water. He had sent them bread in the form of manna. And then there were even birds that he had sent that they could kill and eat. Yet they were still murmuring against God and Moses. 
So verse 6, Numbers 21. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. Well, why would God do that? Does God enjoy causing suffering? Excuse me. No. But that's not the reason that he causes suffering because he enjoys it. He does it to bring people back to him. And it wasn't long before the people of Israel recognizing that they had sinned against God said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So that's what Moses did. It's kind of like what happens in the congregation. Pastors often are visited by members who are going through a difficult time. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe they had their house go into foreclosure. They're having problems with their children. And they come to the pastor. And the first thing the pastor would be doing with them is praying to God so that he might provide them an answer and a way through their difficulties. I didn't say a way out of their difficulties because the difficulties may still exist, but a way through their difficulties. That's what Christianity is about, is that we have many difficulties and they're not going to be eradicated just by praying to God, but you will have a new attitude towards them because Jesus gives promises to you during your difficulties. And it is those promises that help you to understand what God is doing. So they ask, pray to the Lord and take away the serpents from us. Now, we find that a lot of times what we pray for, we don't really receive, but we get something even better. And there's no indication there that the serpents were gone. But instead, the Lord says to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So that's what Moses did. It's not that the bronze serpent that he made made all the serpents go away. No, they still perhaps continue to bite the people. In fact, it says in verse 9, And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, that's the key passage that we want to examine a little bit more because it wasn't that the bronze serpent got rid of the other true fiery serpents that were poisonous and causing people to die. But if somebody had been bit by the serpent and they would look at the bronze serpent, they would live. Now, one would say, well, when Moses erected the bronze serpent, 
Wasn't it pretty obvious that everybody would see it? And the answer to that is no. Remember, it's calculated that there were probably hundreds of thousands of Israelites that left Egypt. And so there's nowhere that a bronze serpent could be put where everybody would see it. They would have to travel to where it was in order to see it. Now, this has something to say when we read in John 3.16 that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. What does believe in him mean? Well, verse 14 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now we're starting to get an understanding of what it means to believe in him. It means that there is a promise connected to the Son of Man being lifted up. And how was he lifted up? The cross. Actually, you were nailed to the cross while lying on it, and then the cross was lifted up and put on a pole. A lot of times when we think of the cross, we think of a big T. But actually, it was just a cross beam that the individual would carry to Calvary. And there were poles at Calvary. Once the person was nailed by his wrists on the cross beam, then that would be lifted up on the pole, and then his feet would be nailed. Well, this is what was happening when Jesus was lifted up. But do you notice who Jesus is compared to? He's compared to the serpent. Now, we already met the serpent in Genesis, where the devil in the form of a serpent, well, he tempted Eve, and both she and Adam fell into the sin of wanting to become like God, knowing good and evil. And so they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that, of course, was utter rebellion against God. It was a way of speaking against God because Adam and Eve were impatient that they were not like God. In fact, that tells us a lot about what every sin is. Every sin is an attempt to become our own God because we reject the will of God and instead decide to do what we want to do. And therefore, what we want to do is to go against the will of God. We want to become like God. In fact, they even say that, that they want to become like God in knowing the difference between good and evil. Well, God knows the difference between good and evil, but Adam and Eve experienced evil by their sin. So the devil did a, a lie, of course. Yeah, you would be like God knowing good and evil, but he didn't tell the whole story. He never does. And so the temptation always leads 
to idolatry. There is no sin you do that does not break the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But let's get back to the understanding of what it means to believe. Whoever believes in him, that word believe is both in the Hebrew and the Greek also words that talk about faith or trust. Now, if you trust someone, what does that mean? What are you trusting? Are you trusting that they're actually existing? No. You're trusting that the promises they have said to you will come true. That's what trust and belief means. So, is there some work that is at the basis of that trust? No, because the Holy Spirit creates in you that trust. It's called faith. And when you trust, it means that you're believing a promise. Well, going back to Numbers 21, what's the promise? God says it to Moses. Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten. Now, the next point is really critical. When he sees it, shall live. Now, because of the many people there, individuals had to travel some distance for all of them to see the bronze snake, those who were bitten. And it says, verse 9, if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. What does it mean to look at the bronze serpent? The reason they're looking at it is because they believe the word the Lord said to Moses, namely, everyone who is bitten when he sees it, shall live. So to see the bronze serpent is more than taking your eyes and looking at the bronze serpent. It means that you're recognizing that through the bronze serpent, the word of the Lord will come true and that you will be healed if you are bitten. Notice there was no necessity for the people who were not bitten to look at the bronze serpent because they did not need healing. So going back to John 3, and it says very clearly, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That, though, includes every person since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin because, as indicated in a recent sermon, we are foolish because we think we can pay for our own sins. We can do some work so God will begin to be pleased with us, love us, and save us. That's foolishness. No, all we need to do is to see Jesus. Now, we, we use that concept in certain items. Like if you go to an eye doctor and he shows you a chart with letters on it, and he says, 
Can you read it? Can you see it? Well, what you're doing is actually using your eyes to see. But a lot of times we also use the word see when we do something for someone that is really nice. Like children may be angry at their parents because they don't let them stay up late watching television. And the parent may look at them and say, did you not see what we did at dinner when we gave you free food? Did you not see what happened when we took you to a store and bought you free clothes? Did you not see what happened? And you can add whatever you want. That the scene, therefore, means more than just observing with your eyes, but also understanding with your mind what is going on here. When they looked at the fiery serpent and they saw him, they were not saved because they, their eyesight saw the serpent, but because the scene involved trusting the promise from God himself that whoever sees the serpent who is bit shall live. Therefore, when we talk about John 3.16, that whoever believes in him, we can change the word believe, that whoever sees him should not perish but have eternal life. How do we understand that? What does it mean to see Jesus? Well, first of all, today he's invisible. But when we read the scripture and hear about him being put on the cross through faith, we then see who he is, namely the one who died for our sins. People can look at a cross and not see Jesus, even if the body is on the cross in a picture or a kind of a form that people make of crosses with the corpus on the cross. But they don't understand that he who sees Jesus with faith will be forgiven their sins. They may look to Jesus as one, oh, he's a good example to follow. He was very nice. In fact, a lot of religions in the world look at Jesus as a good example, not as a savior. So they're not really seeing Jesus. They're seeing their own concoction of who Jesus is. To really see Jesus means to understand why he died on the cross. He was put on the cross in the same way that the fiery serpent was put on a pole because whoever would look and see the fiery serpent and doing that because they believed what the Lord said, that they would be healed, then they are healed. Notice again, you are saved in the Old Testament reading from Numbers 21, not by doing any work, but by believing the promise of God. How many people, I wonder, who were bit by a serpent did not believe that promise of God? 
that if you saw the bronze serpent, you would be healed? Probably very few. But those who were bit and believed the promise of God, when they saw the bronze serpent, they were healed. Similarly, that's what John 3.16 is talking about. That when Jesus Christ was put on the cross, people see that in different ways. Those who are still in darkness see it as an example to follow in order to save themselves. But those who have the light of the world given to them, namely Jesus Christ, and believe the promises, when they see Jesus on the cross, they don't believe that that's some kind of magic trick or something. No, they believe what Jesus said to the disciples when he began to teach them of his proper mission, that he had come to die for the sins of the world. In other words, just knowing and seeing Jesus dying on the cross saved nobody. We, we see that so clearly in the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. They were aware that Jesus died on the cross. In fact, they had even heard from the women that he had risen from the dead. But they didn't see Jesus as he was. They were totally confused. Why did he have to die on the cross? They hadn't had that idea at all on Palm Sunday. No, they felt he was coming to restore Jerusalem to its former grandeur, get rid of the Romans, etc. So when he died, well, even the disciples went and hid in the upper room. So what did Jesus do to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus? He began to explain the true mission of the Christ, beginning with Genesis, certainly using the promise that even Adam heard that through Eve would come indeed the seed of the Savior. And that took a few hundred years. When the fullness of time came, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And those who therefore believed the promises that Jesus told them from the Old Testament, there are so many passages that make it clear that the Messiah wasn't going to be coming as an earthly king in the sense of restoring everything to its former grandeur, giving people all the food they wanted. There's no doubt there was feeding of the 5,000, uh, the Jews, feeding of the 4,000, the Gentiles. But the proper purpose was to come to die on the cross to pay for the sins of people. That's the promise. And where is that promise found? Well, throughout the Old Testament, pierced in hands and feet, Psalm 22. Read that and you'll see the proper mission of the Messiah. Or the book of Isaiah is tremendous. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus wasn't on the cross as an example for you to follow in order to be saved. Jesus was on the cross as your substitute. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? 
it means to see him as he truly is. And that is as the Savior of the world, as the one who died to take away your sins, as the one who gives you righteousness, his righteousness, who makes a trade with you for your sin and gives you his righteousness, his redemption, his salvation becomes yours. Therefore, to believe in Jesus Christ, as it says in John 3.16, is to see him in the way that he was intended to be seen as the merciful Savior who died so that you will really never die and who lives so that you will live eternally. Therefore, whoever believes in him does not mean that you only believe that he existed or that he was a good man or that he was a great example. It also means and solely means that he is the Savior who died to pay the punishment for your sins. And all who see or believe, same concept, will be saved from their sins instantaneously. That's what we call justification. The good works of sanctification never precede justification. They're always a result of your recognition that you have been justified by grace through faith on account of Jesus Christ. So on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll take a look at a hymn, I Trust, O Christ, in You Alone. Notice that the word trust, belief, is the same. I'm Tom Baker. Join with us if you're available tomorrow. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.